Hi, I'm Patrick. And I'm Jeff. And we're making a TV show. With Patrick's writing. And Jeff's experience. We're on the journey to turn this story into the next bingeable series. We're documenting our collaboration. The highs and lows and everything in between. So that you can see what it takes to make a TV show while we're developing it. This is Two Guys Making a TV Show. On today's episode, we talk macro. What is it about Austin that could make it a film hub and why isn't it already? One of the one of the thoughts I wanted to talk about today was that the question that we're reaching out to people and asking is why why do we think Austin is has not experienced a mainstream production studio boom even though what's kind of baked into Austin's culture is that it's an arts town yeah that we have a music scene that we've got a film scene that we've got um a creative class like so what is it that's prevented Austin from becoming what people have thought it would become 20 years ago uh and then the second question I'd want us to talk about is to um, specifically about us say what has us think that we could actually impact that uh, and um, and what sort of credibility would people want to see in someone that is contributing to that change can we start with the credibility thing? Yeah. Um, credibility. That is, I can't say how often it is that you are inherently, and this is probably true. Let's back up a second. This is true of any industry, right? Any business you are, whether it's hiring a pest control person or, or researching to come over to your house and spray for bugs, or it's a builder or it's you know a grocery store or whatever, right? Like there's an inherent need for credibility in the space of whichever, whatever it is you're needing, whatever service or product or whatever, um, that you, as, as a part of the bargain, the contract between you as a consumer or you as a collaborator are going in on is that you trust that the credibility of this other person has been has met my satisfaction. And I, mm -hmm. I understand that there's a ton of things that can happen. Um, and some of these might be on the boundaries of their credibility in terms of being able to process it now or having encountered it now, yeah. but it doesn't make them any less credible than when they do come up to that, that hurdle for the first time and they go, okay, well, I've never seen this before, but I'm going to put all everything I know to it. You know, I'm going to use a method and, and my experience, and then I'm going to cross-reference this with other people that perhaps I trust and um, who, who have had their own experiences. And we'll sort of, you know, come at this from various points. We'll get all our data points. We'll analyze it, and we'll we'll make the best decision that we can. What's tricky about film, and perhaps of any art medium, um, music, painting, whatever it is, is that there's an there's a, a whole other layer of subjectivity to it too, right? And there's a whole other layer of like, I can go somewhere, and people will say, "Oh, well, Tarantino is the greatest filmmaker of all time. Here's why," right? And they'll have very good points. And it's not that they're true or false. It's just that that's their taste. Whereas someone else goes, oh my gosh, I hate Tarantino. 
um, it's, it's Jean-Luc Godard for me. And, and only the French New Wave and anything else is lesser or imitation, right? Sure. Um, and so on and so forth. And that as the person on the other side where you're dealing with something perhaps a little bit more tangible or as a collaborator, let's say you're a financier, let's say you're an insurer, let's say you're any one, any number of people who have to play a part in the machinery of making film and television happen, their credibility uh, needs to be more tangible. They need something that's like, okay, well, how much money is this going to cost? How much data is going to, what numbers am I using? You know, like what's, what are we trying to do? So that's the constraint through which subjectivity is sort of pushed and molded and, and sort of agreed upon over time. All that to say, a very wordy way of saying, okay, well, what does that have to do with you and you and Patrick, Jeff? Well, I think that coming out and saying, first and foremost, that obviously there are big names in this town. Like this, we, you're a native son. I came here, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a new transplant, relatively speaking. And even I had heard, you know, I knew who Jeff Nichols was. I knew who Linklater was, Rodriguez, South by Southwest, the music scene. Oh my God, keep it, keep Austin weird. Like there was already an allure and a messaging and a narrative that was kind of gravitating around this, this place that was always described as this creative little Mecca in, in the sea of, of not that. And to say that like, oh, we're coming in and we know more than Robert Rodriguez or Richard Linklater or Terrence Malick, you know, like that's not the credibility issue that we're tackling. The credibility issue is how I think, how humble are we in and how hungry are we in continuing to learn and adapt to how this, this, the industry is changing, how aesthetics are changing, how's the subjectivity of the market and audiences are changing, and how are we going to make the most, the most uh, researched, sort of rational, logical, and and sure steppedness, uh, you know, decisions on that path to keeping all those people involved who need something more tangible, to keeping them, you know, sort of, I don't want to say, uh, to keeping them reassured. You know, I think that this is that's part of our responsibility. Is we don't have all the answers. And in the grand scheme of things, are there people who are certainly more credible on paper? I mean, yeah, if, if Terrence Malick and, and us come up into a room, I'll tell you right now that I will defer to Terrence Malick in many ways. But I think it's exactly for that reason that if we find the most credible people that we can find in an, in an advisory capacity, that's only going to help us on our cause. And I think actually point to uh, a pathway to success more so than than not um yeah and it's i think it's uh when i think about credibility credibility comes in a lot of different flavors credible to who so a lot of it is uh different stories or different perceptions that people might have based on where they're coming from entering the conversation credibility as it relates to uh, uh creative class that's have you actually created some artistic thing that is visible that made an impact that people resonated with yeah like that that would be something right to make us credible to a link later right in the absence of having uh credits behind our names then he'd be like okay what's the difference between you and 
you know, the drunk guy at the bar that's saying, I got big ideas, right? Nothing. Like yeah. nothing uh, other than we'd spent a little more time thinking about it, <laughs> but yeah, right. maybe that, you know, that's just uh, uh, gradation when it comes to uh, financiers, the credibility is, have you created a loop to where you are able to generate a return? Yes. Okay. And it might not necessarily be with a show, but it would be great if it was, but even building a business and creating a return through that business would serve as some credibility to say, okay, well, I'm going to do that, but in this separate uh, industry. Okay. As long as you know your, your stuff, and I trust that you're able to take a similar approach to make it happen. That's credible. Sure. And certainly the most credible would be we've, we've won awards for doing the creative stuff that we say we want to do more of, and we've been able to build something and a, a community culture and a business in the same space we want to create it. Now we want to do it here. That's a, oh, okay. I'm going to open up my checkbook and help you in that quest. Yep. Um, so in, in thinking about what, what makes us credible, it becomes uh, what sort of strengths can we amplify? We're attempting to be thoughtful about this. Uh -huh. We are in the place that it would happen okay. if it was going to happen yeah. uh, in a very visible way with lots of people moving here. Um, and then, like you said, surrounding ourselves with people, people that are smarter than us that have a variety of different perspectives on why it hasn't been the case that Austin is a film and TV mecca um, and the expectations that each of these folks might have on what Austin would look like if it did become this film and TV mecca yeah. so that we can align our perspectives on each of these different folks' expectations. Sure. Um, yeah. But it does ground, it, it does feel grounding to me to say, okay, at its heart, if the concept is let's build a production company that's like a Paramount, but here in Austin, what does that mean? That means content. And that means return on that content. We yeah. can certainly chug out a bunch of iPhone videos and say, we've got a studio yeah. because we've, we've written yeah. this, we're, we're just improving and then yeah. with our phone and we got lots of content. So, Hey, we're a studio. No. Um, so I think it, it, it matters a lot to us to really uh, make our initial foray of row the best that it could be. Yes. Yeah. Because this is part of the model, right? This is the part of the, it's, it's a, it's a test in the minimum viable product, which we've created, right. Is creating a sizzle, creating a package and, um, you know, deploying that package by setting up meetings and seeing what kind of, you know, bites we can get and conversations we can start and so forth. Um, the when that sale happens when we have a, a story to tell about that that's further proof and further one reinforcement of credibility right that helps us engage into the next level 
I think an important part of, and something we've always spoken about is being transparent, um, is never misleading anyone or getting someone involved no matter how excited we may be about the product and how much we may personally believe in, in its potential, because I don't think, I don't, there's no, well, I think we only engage in things that we believe in as potential, right? Um, but making sure that we never mislead or, or try to overextend ourselves in credibility in terms of saying like, oh, this will definitely be, this is the next Marvel Studios or whatever, right? That being said, I think on the other end of, of things, there's always an element of risk that entrepreneurs and financiers understand. And also, I don't think it takes, you, you don't have to be, you know, um, a, a professor over at Wharton Business School or something in order to understand that like, there are a bunch of ingredients coming into play in Austin, Texas, that you you just probably no other city in the country has right now. It probably Evan said something when we spoke to him yesterday. Uh, he's like, I truly believe that Austin is the next great me uh, metropolitan city of America. It is the next great city of the next fifty years where people go, Oh my gosh, you're going to Austin, Texas. That's like what New York was before, what LA was, you know, what San Francisco was for tech, it's it, you know, and it has, what's exciting about it is it, it has the, um, the advantage of being able to sort of, with the people who are here and their own experiences of looking to those other places and going, what can we draw from? What are the best aspects of those other cities and cultures? And how do we sort of like mold them and, and fold them without losing what's so great about Austin in the first place and what drew us here in the first place. Um, I think filmmakers are a part of that. I don't know if they're the bleeding edge. I don't think they're necessarily your, your poets and your artists and your, your musicians and stuff who I think are the bleeding edge of, of signs of those changes. Um, they're not the tech industry, which got here first, but when you see something like, you know, line 204's 540 plus acre deal amounting in probably $2 billion of, of, you know, cash flow around Bastrop, like that's a huge, that's a sea change right there. Right. Like that's a yeah. big shot across everyone's bow that like, we believe in Texas and more importantly, we believe in the Austin area. Um, and we see it as the future. I mean, the city of Bastrop had to literally annex, I think a great port of like 45% or more of that land um, in order to make it happen. And I think they're essentially just big believers in, in the mission and the vision and just sort of saying, okay, you know, like we believe in this, we think it'll be good for our community. So here you go. Um, that's no small thing, you know, um, it'll put us right there, Austin, and just by that very measure and, and, and to complement it with things like, you know, uh, crunchy roll and, Warner and um, uh, Troublemaker, it'll put us there, I think, just inherently on the same level as in Albuquerque, where, you know, certainly a lot of stuff happens in Albuquerque, but um, I think we'll, we'll, we will become of that, of that level, right? It'll, there'll be no reason. Essentially, you'll be thinking, if I'm not filming, if I'm filming somewhere else, I'm looking at New Mexico and I'm looking at Texas right away. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I, I hopefully this doesn't offend people living in Albuquerque, but I think Austin probably has a little bit more sex appeal right now than Albuquerque does. Um, and that helps it. And that helps draw in other people from other places and industries, right. Which keep it fresh. Um, and I don't know New Mexico culture all that well, 
But I know that Texan culture is extremely optimistic and extremely entrepreneurial, and that serves it well and has continued to serve it well. Um, and I haven't experienced that anywhere, uh, not even in New York, I would say. I think New York was a little, despite all the business and the activity, I think it was a little um, cynical, which Austin has never come across as cynical to me, ever. Not, not for one minute, literally. Um, so those are all great things. Those are all intangibles, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, but more importantly, and more to the point, I suppose, uh, digressing from there is, is uh, you know, why hasn't Texas, why hasn't Austin become a film mecca like they said it, like perhaps people were saying it would back in the late 90s, early 2000s, right? When Rodriguez and Linklater and, and Malik and stuff were, were really doing their thing. Um, and I would argue that it's because that environment, that culture was different then. That was an auteur culture. They were, they didn't want to make studios. Rodriguez only made studios, what, 15, he made his studio 15 years later after really the, the height of his desperado-ness, right? Um, but at the time, the whole point of them doing what they were doing was to be anti-studio. Like that was, that was independent filmmaking, right? Tarantino mm -hmm. wasn't getting his money. I mean, Miramax and, and stuff, they were anti-studio. They were purposely taking a chance on these little gritty little things that happened to hit at the right time when people I think were a little bored with the fare that was coming out of, out of um, you know, the big studio systems. They, it would have been antithetical to them to be like, oh, I'm gonna set up a big studio now uh, because they would have just done it anyway. Terrence Malick was writing screenplays, uh, ghost writing for big, big projects. Um, it wasn't like he didn't have the connections. He didn't want to do that, you know, like he wanted to make his own thing in his own way on his own terms. I think it's kind of an interesting point about uh, Austin then is because one of the things that I remember hearing a real estate developer talk about is the whole uh, hate Ashbury scene in San Francisco was launched from people in Austin, that people in Austin left Austin to move to San Francisco to start this hippie LSD cultural zeitgeist. Um, and who knows if he was just kind of full of it, but that was his, his interpretation of, of uh, that hippie culture. So the people in Austin growing out of the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, started to get pulled in, hey, the culture, culture of America might get into the yuppies and the um, uh, capitalist um, thrush that might have been going on in that era. And Austin tried to hold on to, we don't want to build new infrastructure because we don't want people to come here. We don't want to develop on any green space because we don't want people to come here. We don't like all of this stuff to try to prevent people from coming out in service of retaining about the same population, still having the niceties uh, and quality of life. And so then if it's the 2000s and stuff is starting to change more, there might have been a retrenching of this belief of if I don't build it, they won't come. Yeah. So the like, I don't think with Richard Linklater. I love his stuff. I don't ever imagine him, him, him making a standard Hollywood movie beyond School of Rock, which was great. 
Um, but his, his attitude towards it seems to be very much focused on let's help uh, amateur filmmakers realize their dream of yes. contributing to the community and having this informal consortium of, of folks that talk about movies, love movies, and that is their life. And what I see from that is a particular attitude or an approach that mirrors what Austin was about. If you don't build it, they won't come here. So let's just stay small intentionally. Yeah. yeah. And, and the potential disservice to that is, well, then you have people like that, that we know that say, all right, I'm in Austin and I've done all these kind of student films and shorts and I've even met some of the famous people here in Austin, but I'm saving up to move to LA. Yeah. So the, the unfortunate piece is, yeah, you've got greater access to these, these big name folks that are inadvertently dissuading you from staying here yeah. if you want to make a career and not just, you know, live on tips from waiting tables at uh, Dos Batos downtown or something like that so that yeah. you can like, but that's not how to build a life. Like, so I think what we're, we're trying to, how we might approach what we're trying to do is how can you retain the fun and the spirit of what it, what is it to tell a quality story that people can see and connect to and resonate with in a way that affords economic opportunities throughout the value chain yeah. from the people marketing it and distributing it to the people making it to the people financing it like both those things can exist together in a way that doesn't make it a sellout because remember that used to be the big thing like oh, oh you yeah. sold out right. now when i hear that term i think what are you 18 yeah, right. the, the whole point is that you want a quality of life and that quality of life Okay, sad to say, we live in this sort of environment. We have bills. We've got housing and utilities, and having coffee meetings requires some amount of money. Yeah. And that money, it can be a good marker for how well your product or service is being received. Yeah. If people don't want to buy your stuff, it means you're not selling it very well, or people don't want to buy it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, I kind of have this attitude of, yeah, sure, I get it, Austin. I'm, I've been here. I've seen all of this stuff. And I was someone in the early 2000s saying, yeah, down with this establishment and um, corporate structures and whatever else. And I've come out the other side of that and thought, okay, yeah, there's a lot of problems with that type of environment and the people that it might exclude and the uh, rigidity to how that might be developed. And on the other hand, there's the inadvertent dissuasion that auteurs have and that they likely have started the, the people that you might gravitate to have made some amount of money doing this thing that they love that affords them the opportunity to say, no, thank you to these formal structures. I'll do it by myself in my own way. And you have these acolytes come up and say, oh, I want to be just like you. Yet they're living in a railroad apartment with like five other people. 
the ability to like start a family and have kids and like, okay, a little bit more challenging. They're having to take extra job. And it's like, okay, this is kind of a trick because what you might not be telling people is, oh, I sold several things for a lot of money that afforded me the time and freedom to do this thing in my own unique way. Yes, it's it's been true since really art and and capitalism have been married, right? Like it's it's there's this lore, and I think it's it really feeds into the ego of everyone, but especially the young, and they see this like auteur who has created this you know fantastic piece of art that was so undeniably good that even you know they married the commercial and the artistic and they they didn't they didn't bend at all and the whole world just you know kneeled before it in its greatness and and gave all this money right and you're like oh my god i want that that'll that'll really show people how cool i am and how great i am right and like you said the truth always is either they were a trust fund kid so they were just independently wealthy and it, it didn't really matter whether it was commercially good or not or they had some alternate track that's invisible to you that they don't play up anymore because that's not as sexy of a story. It doesn't feed that lore as much, which is they ground away on something, uh, you know, that was just paying the bills and probably had some nice paychecks along the way and uh, eventually built up enough of a, of something on the side. And they took a risk on this thing that turned out to be a commercial success. Um, was it, you know, like Christopher Nolan is, is a great example of like, uh, the other element of it, which is luck. Like, no, I mean, nobody, if anybody knew really what a surefire hit was going to be, there'd be no such thing as flops, right? There'd be no such thing as anything that was poorly made or poorly executed or poorly received. Everything would be fantastic. Everything would be gold, right? And we'd all just be throwing our money at everything all the time. We don't do that. Why don't we do that? Because there's an element of just serendipity to it too, right? Now, can you can you hedge against that? Can you kind of like what you were saying yesterday, right? With music, can you mitigate against that risk? If you if you're a, a musician and you have your debut album, is one song so good that you're sure that people are going to spend thirteen dollars on this on this album for one song that might be really good? Or is it probably more likely that you're gonna to need to make 13 songs and one of them will be that radio hit and the other 12 will be something that people, only the, tr the, the most diehard of fans even remember, right? And that's kind of analogous to a slate of projects as a production house. Like you're gonna have, you're gonna need 10, 12, 15, 20 projects kind of circulating and moving and, and really working their way uphill because two, three, four of them are probably gonna be the ones that actually breach the top make it all worthwhile and to say you believe in all of them but really the thing that separates them is that is that intangible is that a little bit of serendipity right place right time hard work and the invisible work of underneath of grinding away on other projects and cash flow and things that help build the business um you know i i hate that term sell out now and i used to be the same way as you i i was like oh my gosh screw that i'm gonna go live in the woods in poland and i'll make art and i'll be like jersey Kurtovsky and everyone will recognize how great it is because it'll be undeniably good. And uh -huh. then I was like, no, like you need, you just got to be a little bit more based on the real world. And if you can take that approach and move step-by-step step in a rational, logical way um, towards your passion, yes, but, but have action items. That's how you get stuff done. You know, that's how everyone that you think is this sort of, you know, 
this once in a this wunderkind um they're really just grinding away they're doing the work you know um it's and it's funny as as you're talking about it i'm thinking what what did this concept of a sellout come from and it was this 80s yuppie mentality that cash is king greed is good and the pullback from that was a giant swing on the pendulum to say screw greed screw money screw all the trappings of a material world yeah i i'm gonna do something on my own terms right so it was a bit of this push pull that i think was happening in the culture that i mean you look back at grunge music and you think what's unique about grunge you don't have clear notes that are being played. You don't have clear vocals that are being set. All of it's fuzzy, yeah. but it's it's done in the, I'm going to do it my way. Mm-hmm. Um, like there doesn't have to be a whole lot of music theory behind it, um, polish or anything like that. It's just very raw feeling. Well, and it came from a place that was at the time not known for music, right? Nobody thought of Seattle as a music haven. That was that was like what? In fact, I don't think anyone really thought of Seattle that all that much at all. You know, it was kind of off the map, and it's and now it's synonymous with it, or at least I I think that residue is still there. Of like at least for our generation, we think of that Seattle, and we're like, oh, grunge. You know, like that's that's the birthplace, right? Um, and you would know better than myself, but there must be some residue still, and perhaps it's beginning to change or morph of an Austin that you spoke of before, which was leave us, leave it how it is. Let it be this thing that it is still. We know we can make these things happen because we know how good of a thing we have here, but we don't want it to be those other things because we want it to stay kind of still. And that just by the marching of time inevitably is changing, right? And now we're at a precipice of people saying, you know, looking over and saying, okay, well, it's going to change either way. Am I going to be a part of this new story of Austin or not? You know, Um, because I can always move to somewhere else that's quieter and smaller and more like how I remember it, but I will never have another opportunity like I do here in Austin, Texas to write myself into the fabric of what, and I agree with Evan, the next great American city is going to be. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's hard because the attitude, I think, has been Austin's great. That's why we can do anything here, but we also don't want to change. <laughs> so if, if the attitude is you can do anything, that necessarily means that there is going to be change. And any sort of change that involves discomfort and unpleasant feelings. Yes. heard this one time i'm going to bastardize it a little bit but i heard someone say one time and i think it was i think it was more along the lines of investment but they were saying by the time you've heard of something it's already too late and you know we go to these places like new york la san francisco you know all these other places that are synonymous with other things whether it be film television technology what have you um 
and we think like, oh, well, if I can go there and I can make it there, then I, that I can make it anywhere, right? And, but the thing is, like, if you've heard of a, if you've heard of it already, it's already too late, right? So everyone else is having that same thought and they're all behind the eight ball, right? Like they're all rushing for fewer and fewer spots, despite the fact that the pool might be larger and that in and of itself to the human eye at a quick glance looks like, oh, well, there's more activity over there. So clearly that must be better. No, not necessarily. The best place to be is to be right on that precipice of like, I don't think any, like I, I would have a hard time selling this to someone else who doesn't, hasn't heard that yet, right? Like I haven't heard like, oh, Austin is the film Mecca. Mm -hmm. That's exactly why it could work. That's exactly why there's opportunity here. Because what you're talking about is like a lagging indicator. A lagging if, indicator, if, yes. If people are talking about a place being something, that is the lagging indicator. So uh, as, as someone told me recently, like in the restaurant industry, the lagging indicator are sales, like food sales. A current indicator would be the, the size of the tips, like the percentage of them over a 15% tip. Oh, interesting. The leading indicator would be turnover for your uh, best waiters. Oh, interesting. So the flow then is, You've got a great wait staff, but they start turning over really fast, get, getting into the job and then out of the job to a different restaurant. Mm. That then reduces the quality of service. So people start tipping less. Mm. After people are tipping less, they're starting to talk to others like this place isn't that great anymore. And then your sales start to decline. Oh, interesting. So as we think about for Austin, what, what what could be the leading current and lagging indicators? The lagging indicator, I think we, we figured out would be the word of mouth about, oh, this Silicon Valley is the place to do a startup. Yeah. The idea of me launching a startup and moving out to Silicon Valley feels so, um, not swampy, but like almost defeatist at this point. <laughs> like, why would I even do that? Yeah, right. It's so saturated. There's yeah. so much competition. And yeah, I could bump into um, very high profile VCs just going to a coffee shop. But guess what? They will have just come from listening to 100 different pitches. And they're going to listen to 100 more. And they're probably just tired of evaluating all of this stuff. Yeah. Because it's just inundated with ideas. Yeah. Um, for Austin, I don't think we have a a a, a lagging indicator of um, it being a, a film town. Um, it's uh, it, it, as like a professional film town. Yeah. It seems very much like a uh, we've got a base of creatives that are starting to get displaced because they can't afford all the space on the east side and, and so on that they used to. So they're getting pushed out. Yep. And in their place are the uh, amateur creatives, the ones that can make money doing what they do, but it's not enough to where they're buying houses in Terrytown or anything. It's not something that they could stake a career on and one, one, uh, one bad move could could really hurt their business, but they yeah. have some sort of business. It's just a loose confederation then of these folks. 
So what then, what consolidates it or pops it out into a professional class level to where someone looking for jobs on LinkedIn could say, oh, I'm looking for a production assistant job, preferably at some studio so I can kind of work my way up and talk about or like different paths in this industry. I could be, oh, I'm going to move to Austin. Yeah. Because I can have these sorts of uh, opportunities that does not exist here. There is no career ladder in the entertainment industry or in the, the uh, movie or TV production industry here in Austin. Um, That's interesting. So what, what, what then is our leading, our leading indicators? Uh, I would say, let me take a step back here. Maybe this is too broad, but we have people moving here regardless, right? Many of them yep. from California and New York. Why yep. are they moving here? Because one, they can work remotely or, they've, or their employer has discovered that they're just as productive working remotely. Two, they have a desire to live a higher quality of life. So um, while the creative class in Austin is probably being priced out, this new incoming class is of a professional level oftentimes or has been so used to hustling at a higher price point that this newer price point seems like uh, a, a net gain overall, right? Even though they know that they're gonna take a job that probably pays slightly less, their, their expenses are, their overhead is less too. Um, so there's gonna be a churning of people who have professional level experience just by sheer, uh, but just by being in like, let's say in LA or New York. You're gonna, so what does that mean? You're gonna get more production assistants, uh, people who have actually been on sets. Um, you're gonna have a, a wash for people coming out of schools like UT, uh, Austin Film School, so forth, who are like, well, it's kind of getting expensive here, but I know it's expensive in LA. Um, I just met this guy who, who came from LA and he's kind of doing the same thing I'm doing. So I'm going to collaborate with him and we're going to make, we're going to raise up into that amateur level that you were talking about, right? We're going to split our rent. We're going to get a two bedroom. We're going to be able to afford paying for our, our side of it. And that's just as good as living in New York or LA. And once we get that thing that pops off, we'll, we'll be able to make the decision then, right? So we're entering in it, in the, in the point of which, like, how do we keep those people here so that our labor force continues to get better and better. And that in turn, continues to drive not only more people here who are making the whole force larger um, and giving us more access to people so that when we have productions to produce, they're not all tied up somewhere else. Um, which I will say was something I noticed in this boom when we were casting, when we were staffing up for the sizzle, I could tell that everyone else was at the same time too. And it was not easy to get certain, certain uh, crew members, especially. I can tell you right now, if your hair and makeup or your sound you are in high demand because there must not be a lot of you who work at a professional level. Um, those two stuck out to me, especially sound, especially. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, what else will happen? So what else are our leading indicators then? Uh, the studios being built, the resources from the outside and inside being um, sort of mobilized towards big projects. Which hey, are Yeah, that almost seems like a current indicator. What's happening right now is oh, yeah. that space is being built, land is being claimed. Yes. Um, so that, I mean, a leading indicator could be, um, yeah, what, so yeah, I guess that calls into the, the, the real question is, 
what is creating this funnel? Like we know about the visibility of Austin. We know in macro terms what Austin could be. Yeah. Just based on its positioning. But the question that just popped up in my head is why is line 204 taking this chance to develop that big of a piece of land for studio space in Bastrop? I mean, that seems like a a big um, stake in the ground. Let's look up line 204 productions. What is their deal? It looks like they have stages, sound stages of various scale. They've got uh, supplies. So like the production warehouse, uh, whether that be expendables or tents or tables or guards or what have you, all the minutia, right? COVID supplies. They're not a producing house. They're, right. So that I think that's what's kind of interesting with this is as I'm looking at their about us, it's it's space, it's logistics, it's infrastructure. Yeah. So they're they're not creating content, acquiring content, distributing content. They are a space kind of like uh, the Austin Film Studios at Mueller Airport that, hey, if you're doing a production, you can rent this uh, space and it's high quality space, high quality equipment, uh, rentals, vans, um, all, all of that stuff. Giant green screen uh, doing events at their, their spaces. Yeah. Um, so what that would indicate to me is they feel like there is demand either right now pent up or there will be demand in the future to produce film in Austin, in and around Austin. Yeah. Why else would they have a plan to build studio space? Yeah. So that seems kind of an interesting piece there that I had been framing this line 204 stuff as, oh, there's like lowercase s studio moving into Austin, but what does that mean for us? And why would somebody trust us versus them? And it's like, well, actually, they are they are tackling a different part of the value chain. What yeah. we're interested in is creating the capital S studio. What does Paramount do? Paramount likely has access to warehouses of stages and sets and all of that. Yeah. But their primary um, business model is uh, financing and distribution. Right. And so they can distribute on their own streaming service, but they've also got all the contracts negotiated with theaters and um, they've got internal relationships to trade uh, IP to different studios, different countries, different markets, different networks, what it, like they, they've got lots of different pathways to disseminate and distribute the content that they've acquired yeah. or created. And what, what I see and what we're uh, talking about attempting to build in Austin then is that the finance yeah. engine with the relationships to primarily streamers, right? To say that's that's the dominant focus as we do not see traditional cable being as much of an outlet, uh, and even theaters maybe not as much of an outlet as streaming 
can be yeah. going into the future. So if we if we're adopting that model and saying why now, we say look at line two hundred four. They're making almost a six hundred acre investment of land and studio space that the business their business model only works if there's enough people needing to rent their space and their equipment. Yeah. So they see, and they, ha they have a lot of good analysts. They've been around for a while. They've got a lot of capital at hand. Yeah. And they have made the, um, the credible assumption that there is enough demand for uh, space to film that they can plan to do this over the next six years and build this giant uh, piece of infrastructure. Yeah. And it wasn't even as if they got priced out of, L so they're, they're, they started in Southern California, right? They have a, a big lot in um, North Hollywood. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as if they, they got pushed out, right? And they were like, oh shit, we got to go somewhere else. Right. No, they built their, they built an, another big one in 2020. So over the pandemic, they were still like, okay, well, this is a good time to not only do this, but we'll finalize this other spot over here in Texas too. Um, in fact, probably the, one of the biggest deciders of, of, you know, why didn't they go to Albuquerque then if they thought Netflix was going to be there was exactly that reason. Well, we've got just as much, if not more space in uh, the Texas area and the Austin area than we do in Albuquerque. Mm -hmm. um, we'll be close to the airport, which Netflix took that prime spot just south of the airport in Albuquerque, which is always good for flying in crew and cast and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we've got light, which I think is, I, I don't think, I feel like we can underscore that harder than we do. Cause I know that from, from a development standpoint, when we're at our computers all day and communications via email, we lose fact track of the, the, the very fact that once you, this is all well and good and necessary, but once you get boots on the ground, you're actually filming things. You're oftentimes filming outside, right? Because the greatest, biggest, cheapest light in the sky is outside. And that helps you make things right. That's why shows like fear the walking dead have come here or Friday Night Lights or what have you, right? It's not just because it was in uh, of the tax incentives or anything like that. It's because you have a lot of light. You get more light here than you do if you're up in Minnesota or New York, right? Um, that's how the very start of Hollywood happened. They went out to California from New Jersey because there was more light. So space, space and light, the final ingredient being labor and cheap labor. As a, any business model, it needs to kind of keep that as low as possible because your labor is oftentimes... 50% or more of your, of your costs. Right. Um, so we certainly have that. Um, are we as cheap? Could we be better in, in terms of incentivizing on a legislative level? Yes. Obviously we're not, we're not quite as good as, as Georgia is, for example, but what, what are Georgia's tax incentives? I think they're at 35%. However, that used to be 35% uncapped. And I think it is now capped. And in fact, I think they're considering lowering it as retaliation for Disney and Marvel pulling out some of their productions um, over the last year, year and a half and moving them down to uh, Australia. So um, doing a little cut your nose to spite your face sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, because yeah. that's, that's smart. Um, so again, opportunity there therein lies opportunity for for texas i think that um the austin area has an appeal where uh though a, to a lesser degree and a lesser influence it does matter very much you know if you're going to bring in big stars like pierce brosnan 
you want Pierce Brosnan to like coming to Austin, Texas to work here, right? Because mm-hmm. he's got a ton of products or projects coming across his desk. And if one is based somewhere he likes and one is based somewhere he doesn't like, all things being equal, he's just going to go to the place that he likes, you know, as the determining factor. And I know that seems kind of snobbish to us on the outside, but when you do this for a living, would you rather be under the baking hot sun of, you know, the Mojave desert for 18 hours a day, or would you rather be, you know, poolside at the line hotel in downtown Austin, you know, like it's it kind of at the end of the day, it's sort of that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's easier. You know, I think that was probably a big part of them being able to make the sun here, that series on AMC, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that was because I, I, I read Pierce was a big fan of Austin. He liked it. Um, so they're, they're intangibles and they're lesser, you know, influencers, of course. But I think more to the point is, like you said, a current indicator is the fact that someone's taking a huge risk. They're taking hundreds of millions, if not a billion dollar risk on this endeavor already. So they believe and they've got the resources to sort of make the best decision. And they've gone with, yes, Texas is the best decision for us, not Georgia, not anywhere else. Right. Yeah, Um, that that they believe that people will rent their space in such volume that it's profitable for them to take on this huge expense, huge investment. Yeah. And so what does that mean? That means that they believe people will be there filming content. Yeah. Big people. Big people. specifically for i think it's called fast drop five two two five five two fast drop five five two development oh yeah i'm looking at a at a plan development plan for it and it's it's a one-stop shop just like your pine woods or anything else out in georgia right like it's It's every, I mean, you'll, you'll have locations, various locations, whether it's Riverside along the, uh, what river is this? Colorado? Yeah. Um, neighborhoods. It's much like what they probably a long time ago proposed for Northern or for uh, um, the Valley in LA, which was at one point just kind of suburbia you know, you didn't go out there for filming because why would you? It's over the hill. Mm-hmm. And they developed that and put the studio system in and that's what Burbank became is, you know, kind of like where Hollywood is now. Um, I think in the future, Bastrop will be sort of, it'll be the, the Burbank of, of the Burbank to, to Austin's LA um, where people go, oh, are you heading out to Bastrop? What are you working on? You know, you must be working mm-hmm. on something mm-hmm. big. Um, that would yeah, be great gotta... for Bastrop. Yeah. Bastrop's, uh, I feel like Bastrop's tried. Yeah. <laughs> tried over time, and they've just been so close to Austin that it's like, all right, yeah. well, why don't I just move to Austin? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And they're halfway between us and um, Houston, right? So there's another big city, obviously. Um, I mean, Bastrop's a lot closer to us. 
yeah i mean it's you could get to bastrop in what 30 45 minutes yeah maybe yeah it's not very far away that's true um so yeah i mean like I don't know that we know the answer yet. I think we're getting our finger closer to it, but what like as to what the leading indicators are. Mm -hmm. But I think we can certainly point to a lot of current indicators um, and and sort of say like, hey, obviously the, the, the winds are in our sails here. So when people ask us, which is a really great question, why why you guys and why now? You know, solving some of these other puzzles first will help us answer those questions um and it might not even be about an answer like thinking about it it might be um the the story that can help others learn why we want to do it in the first place yeah because if somebody's asking uh why why is it not happened in austin yet it's it's asking a question to have someone give them a bunch of explanations right but it's yeah. not it's not specific in saying how has it not happened when would it have happened what is it about austin that would encourage it to happen or not encourage it like those are questions that get to facts yeah because asking why is asking an explanation and explanations yeah can be formed out of opinions about something, the way that I've synthesized information and I've presented a response to it. Yeah. So it, it might not be about an answer, but if that, it, it's about what we can learn at its heart. What is a valuable explanation out of this? What, what can help inform what story we're trying to tell? So yeah. that if we get asked that question again, um, why is Austin not, um, been a film mecca already like haven't we been talking about it say so, yeah we've been talking about it but guess what we've lived in auteur land we've lived in a place where people have actively eschewed the whole idea of forming studios here so why hasn't it happened because no one wanted it no one wanted it and so what do we have now we've got a loose confederation of people that want to be amateur artists but with all these people coming in there's a change in the perception of what Austin could become yeah. in terms of punching out of amateur into a professional class. Yeah. Why now? Well, look at line 204. They are making this giant bet that there will be enough production in and around Austin that it would keep them profitable. And they're a lot more in the weeds with a lot more information and capital at their disposal to understand if that was a good risk to take or not and they decided yeah. yes it was a good risk to take so yeah. they must know something about where austin will be in the next five or ten years yeah so why yeah. now because in five to ten years this is going to mature to a point that's going to prove out line 204's thesis yeah yeah so that that helps i think start putting a story together um for why why now and then why us can can start develop develop as well rather than like because we really want to <laughs> it sounds fun because <laughs> it sounds fun and yeah. uh 
it's sort of a dream and all of this stuff and we can convert that to well why us well because we are taking a more professional look at what um the entertainment business and the film business could be and we're here in austin and recognizing the opportunity we have this credibility from selling this show and putting a model together to where we're saying our approach towards content is not i have to hold on to it this is my baby if you don't get it then you're dumb and you can't see my genius and it's yeah. more of like no this is an industry and this is a business that can make a lot of people money and it has this added benefit of touching people eliciting emotions in people, having people unlock and think about life in a new way. Yeah. What if you could make money while touching people and changing their lives for the better? That sounds Which, like a pretty good thing. Yeah. And that always, you know what? And I think perhaps the, perhaps only the most cynical of us were resistant to that explanation of like, oh, well, that sounds kind of like a Hallmark explanation. No, it's not. And I think COVID did a good job of showing us that the, where did people turn to when, when they were trapped indoors and they were had no communication with anyone physically, you know, and they were sort of locked away from their lives, many of us, they turned to, to content, they turned to stories, they turned to other ways of feeling that connection, right? And, and so therein lies an opportunity and, and a battle testing of like, oh, your product amongst all the things that we can spend our money and our time on, um, yours actually maintains value during catastrophes and, and actually grows in, in value. Um, another place in, in where I think we oftentimes forget, you know, because it seems so, again, going to the start of this conversation, because it is so subjective, that does seem like, oh, I don't know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a weird space to get into because who knows what anyone likes, right? Well, that's true. But luckily for us, we're human beings and someone likes something, right? Someone is searching for something. Um, and it just may be that you are able to provide that to them. And it may, may be that there's many more of those people who are not quite getting that thing that they want yet anyway, you know? Um, yeah. We can't do that. We can't provide that to them if we don't provide it to them. I know that sounds kind of stupid, but it's true, right? Um, I'm trying to see, I was thinking as you were talking, I was like, in terms of like kind of placing a, a very loose timeline for when the window would close, so to speak, I was like, well, what, when does, when does Bastrop 552, when is it set to be open? And I don't know that that would, uh, I don't know that that's determined yet, but I would say probably, I mean, construction in Bastrop would start later this year, probably take, it's a they've got a six-year plan it'll take six years for it to get fully like up to fulfilling the vision okay. but, yeah but it's a phased i think a three-phase approach okay so some stuff will come online in the next two years yeah so then, i would yeah. i would say that if 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 things aren't moving to anyone looking to get on uh, and surf this wave if you're not looking to get on your board in the next two years probably at the latest you may miss it you know or you may you may not get catch as much of that wave as you could have had you been prepared you know or things will get a lot more expensive if you'd like to play in this yeah. arena yeah. yeah 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 so and certainly For better or worse because that that just means that like okay netflix could look at let's say we we raise some 
some money, um, some working capital to get the, the business going in earnest, hire key teammates, get productions underway, acquire some content, provide work for people, start to form the distribution paths, who are we going to connect to, for what product, for what service, um, what, what do people like, how can we start entrenching these, these different channels. And then Netflix could effectively just look at us and say, oh, they're, they're doing this and this sort of worked and that didn't work. All right, well, now we're going to plunk down about $200 million and get started in Austin and we'll yeah. have our own, you know, I mean, that's that they'd have to buy their way in at that point. Um, but they certainly have the capital to do that. Yes. Um, yeah. Which again is actually for the labor force is another good thing, right? If you're a 22 year old coming out of UT, you suddenly have a very good reason again of staying put, right? Of being like, oh, I can make a life here just as much as I can make a life doing what I want in New York or LA. So yeah, we, we would want that um, validation that yeah. we'd have multiple studios competing in this space for talent and IP and uh, relationships. Yeah. But given that the distribution angle is so wide because it could be distributed here in the US, it could be distributed across the world. It could be distributed in specific countries across the world or more generally, like there's all different ways to play it um, yeah. with all sorts of different services that that part uh, feels l like a gold rush of content. Yeah. People can't get enough. And that the, the uh, thread that I sent you last night about the traffic jam um, of yes. development, what, what's reassuring to me about it is that for COVID, COVID shuts everything down, but development uh, keeps going. New ideas, new scripts, whatever else. So as soon as this starts opening up, now there's too much to fit through the pipes. Yeah. For now. And what's missing is that those pipes keep getting bigger. Yeah. Because the number of people subscribing to these services and the number of new services popping up and the speed at which they need to acquire new content so that people don't cancel their service and start watching something else feels like it's just growing. So uh -huh. yeah, I think there's a constriction on theatrical distributions and that just might continue except for the big blockbuster stuff. But I, I, I can't help but imagine that um, this a la carte idea of, yeah, sure, I've got my tried and true Netflix and Amazon Prime. And then I'm going to plug and play with Peacock and Paramount and Disney and Shutter and Crunchyroll and like, yeah, I can mix and match and whatever else. Yeah. Uh, that there's just going to be more options that appear to people that they get, like, some people are going to be tried and true shutter subscribers because that's their thing yeah um yeah i mean shit you just brought up a great a really great possible reason why bastrop 522 came to be it's more pipes right they were like oh we see where our where we fit the need you guys don't have enough resources to get all those projects 
up off the ground, not for want of trying, but for the fact that like all the sound stages are taken, all the equipment is taken, all the labor is taken. So you guys need more space. You need more space and you need more light and you need more labor, right? That gets more projects up off the ground, more pipes for water to flow through mm -hmm. from the actual making perspective, right? Also to your point, yes, I agree. I don't think, I know that people were beginning to think, oh, well, some of these, these Netflix, there's so many streamers are going to start consolidating, right? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I think it'll, I think if we, I, if we could handle over 900 channels on oh, like a direct TV or, yeah. or something like that, I think we could handle like 20 streaming services. Yeah. Right. Especially like at some point, spoke. like I just, I treat it like, that my preview menu i'm like scrolling through the channel list well i'm now going to be scrolling through my streaming list yeah but what's what's live on some of these platforms what's recommended and i'm just kind of scrolling through what do i want to watch yeah um if there, I, you know what yeah. someone's going to make a lot of money if they can make a smart tv whether it's a plug-in app or a tv that it comes with the technology already that just has a sidebar as you're scrolling that tells you when your next re-up, your new, your next monthly payment is due for each channel so that you can sit there and go, oh yeah, I'm probably not going to watch anything from that for the next month. I'll just freeze that for now, Beek. you know, and then scroll, scroll, scroll. Oh, I got to turn Apple Plus back on because I saw that trailer for that show that I like and, or that I want to see, Beek. turn that back mm -hmm. on. You know, like someone's going to make a lot of money. Making yeah, that just thing. having a bunch of toggle switches, like yeah. turn this yeah, on, yeah. turn that off. Super easy. Yeah. Don't have to go through the websites or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I agree. I don't think, you know, to think like, oh, people can only handle so much. Like, I don't know. I don't, I, I think that they'll be just fine. I think that if it takes 900 apps and, and uh, someone can afford that, or, or maybe that obviously there'll be a tiered system where, yeah, maybe not each of them are charging 15 bucks a month. Probably some of them are charging, some of them might charge 15 cents a month. I don't know, uh, depending on the level of content, but I, I fail to see certainly a, a, a huge, you know, consolidation of, of streamers, certainly not for the next five years. I just don't think I, now with COVID, with a backlog of all the materials out there, I think it's going to continue on for, for some time. Um, and the big ones will further refine themselves apart from each other. You know, they'll all pick their own lanes where they're like, okay, this is what we do. This is what you do. Yeah. We'll compete here for a little bit, but you know, I don't think that they'll battle it out too much. Um, and I think that there will be a resurgence of the, the movie theater going experience. It'll be slightly different than what we remember. It'll be more luxurious, probably. It'll be fewer seats. It'll be higher ticket prices. Mm -hmm. It'll be an expectation of a menu and good food. Um, if it if it's somewhere where you bring the kids and there'll be another like kind of entertainment capacity bowling or arcade or whatever and you see some of these popping up all over the place right but um i do think that that'll that'll still be there hopefully it won't be reserved strictly for the for the avengers movies of the world but um um yeah i think i just think no matter how much we rack our brains what's always good about these conversations is by the end we're I always still feel optimistic about it. I actually feel more optimistic leaving it than I do coming into it, um, yeah. which is good. Yeah. So for next time, what we didn't discuss is that we got our first edit for the sizzle, which we won't say much yes. about. Um, yeah. 
um, other than awesome. Mm -hmm. Very exciting. Very exciting. Um, so that what we can do for next time then is as we begin to form an idea around a business plan, like what is it to be, what will it to be, what will it take to be a production studio in Austin? As we yeah. start to form our thoughts around these questions and start to ask some very knowledgeable people, why isn't it the case? Right. Um, uh, and put together a, an advisory board of a sense so that we can lean on them for advice for um, uh, their networks and connections and for their credibility as well. Yeah. So I think what we're not going to do is become credible as uh, solopreneurs. Like it's just us and all of our credibility relies on us. I think both of our mentality is credibility aligns with a team yeah. and what a team is able to do. So if we're able to um, inspire an advisory board that believes in the vision that we can clarify in some common language. Um, I think that will start setting us up for once we sell row, once we move down and go through all the stages that we've talked about and get to a sale, we can follow that story immediately with, okay, we just sold this. And we're going to raise for this slate with an add-on that that raise is also going to get us started for the working capital of launching this business in earnest. Yeah. Um, rather than trying to form all that stuff just in time when when we make the sale uh, for Row. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. Cool. Now we just need to work. Now we, now we just need to get to work. So, all right. I guess we'll start making those inroads. And uh, I, I feels like and we're both starting to do it already in our in offline, but uh, reaching out to people and seeing if we can start more conversations and seeing what comes of it. Because that is one of the most fun parts about this industry is like it all starts with just something as simple as connecting and grabbing coffee and just being like, hey, how do you view the world? Let's yeah. see if we can connect on that. Yeah, that's fun. On our next episode, we'll dive into the world of Roe. What's it like in this world and how did it come to be? And how does this inform the last bit we have for our sizzle, the VFX shot? Join us next week on Two Guys Making a TV Show. <laughs>